All right, I see it's seven o'clock, so we'll go ahead and get started. Hello, everyone that's live streaming with us, and welcome to episode one of this Facebook Live series, What Therapists Need to Know, where Dr. Janae Steele and Dr. Shamika Newton will be discussing the topic, Addressing Internalized Racism with Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. So I'm going to start us off by introducing myself. My name is Tatiana Smith, and I'll be the moderator for our conversation this evening. I am a fourth-year a doctoral student in the Counseling Psychology PhD program at Western Michigan University. And I'm currently interning at Kalamazoo College in their counseling center, where I work with students from culturally diverse backgrounds around a variety of different concerns related to mental health. And I'm also the graduate editorial assistant for the Journal of Multicultural Counseling and Development. Next, I want to introduce our speakers for the evening by sharing their bios with you. So we'll start with Dr. Janae Steele. She is a licensed professional counselor, counselor educator, and diplomat of the Academy of Cognitive and Behavioral Therapies. Dr. Steele is also the owner and clinical director of the Kalamazoo Cognitive and Behavioral Therapy, PLLC, where she provides therapy, supervision, and training in CBT. She is an associate editor of the Journal of Multicultural Counseling and Development, the author of the upcoming book, Racism and African-American Mental Health, Using Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Empower Healing, and the co-author of the upcoming book, Black Lives Are Beautiful, Are Beautiful 50 Tools to Heal from Trauma and Promote Positive Racial Identity, both published through Rootledge, an imprint of Taylor and Francis Group, LLC. Her other scholarly activity includes peer-reviewed articles focused in the areas of CBT, social justice advocacy, and counselor training. Her favorite article, published in the May 2020 issue of the International Journal for the Advancement of Counseling and Development, describes cognitive conceptualization and treatment planning using CBT and a proposed cognitive model of internalized racism. So that is Dr. Janae Steele. Thank Next you. Next, we have Dr. Sharmika Newton. She is a fully licensed psychologist and owner of Legacy Mental Health Services, PLLC. She has over 10 years of experience in clinical, academic, and community settings, including teaching experience at both undergraduate and graduate levels of higher education. Her areas of expertise include multicultural counseling, research methods, tests and measurements, career counseling, and clinical supervision of master's level counseling practitioners and students. In addition to her clinical and teaching expertise, Dr. Newton is also a member of the Michigan Board of Psychology, appointed by Governor Gretchen Whitmer. She is a sought-after psychology expert featured in prominent magazines and newscasts, recently featured on the June 2020 broadcast of West Michigan Woman, where she discussed how to have difficult conversations with your family about race. She is also the co-author of the soon-to-be-released book, Black Lives Are Beautiful, 50 Tools to Heal from and on the positive racial identity published through Rootledge, an imprint of Taylor and Francis Group LLC, as well as co-author of the peer-reviewed article, Culturally Adapted Cognitive Behavioral Therapy as a Model to Address Internalized Racism Among African-American Clients, published in the April 2022 issue of the Journal of Mental Health Counseling. So that is Dr. Newton. Thank you. So this evening, we'll be discussing how therapists can respond to the challenge of addressing internalized racism in therapy with African-American clients. We recognize that conversations around oppression and bias can be difficult. So with that in mind, we always like to begin these conversations with a reminder about the importance of self-care and mindfulness during our time together. So if you are a target of oppression, be aware of anything that might be overwhelming, use mindfulness and breathing skills when you need to, and take a break if necessary. If you are an ally or a learner, Work toward maintaining a non-judgmental stance, recognize any defensiveness you may be experiencing, and listen with the intention of understanding and learning. And with that said, we'll go ahead and get started. 
So my first question for Drs. Newton and Steele is what is internalized racism? Dr. Newton, I'll let you start. So when I'm thinking about internalized racism, we're really talking about like the mantra or internal monologue that individuals have. It's the thoughts, self-assumptions um, that ultimately um, reinforce the notions of racism um, and the inferior status that um, Blacks often may experience as a result of experiencing oppression within our country. So it really is, um, it's a way of thinking that is in many ways creates distress for um, Black Americans and it may even stop them from reaching their full potential um, because they are endorsing an inferior status. So when I think about um, internalized racism, that's kind of the definition I would use. Mm -hmm. I think I would echo that. Typically when we're talking about internalized racism, people are thinking about things like self-hatred, um, self-alienation, which are important components of internalized racism. However, what really makes this construct significant is that um, the thoughts that individuals have about themselves regarding their inferiority lead to behaviors that re actually reinforce racial oppression in society. And so if you think about it from a very simple CBT perspective, if you think um, the thoughts, feelings, behaviors triangle, you can think about it as a person having a thought um, reflecting a theme of inferiority either about themselves as a Black person or about um, other members of uh, the Black racial group. Those thoughts would then lead to feelings like um, inadequacy or powerlessness that would lead to a behavior like learned helplessness or even impaired self-control because when people are under um, extended stress response, their self-control becomes impaired. And so then those behaviors look like things that actually support the notions of inferiority that um, are held against African-Americans, things like unintelligence or laziness or criminality, whatever, you know, is specific to the context and which again, you know, leads you back to the thought, reinforcing that cycle of the thought of feeling a behavior. And I think this is such a timely topic given that internalized, we know that internalized racism is rooted in white supremacy um, and the racial discrimination that black clients experience. So my next question is, what does internalized racism look like for Black clients in 2023? Mm -hmm. When I think about my clients, a lot of times I'm thinking, I'll break it down into different age groups. So with more adults, what I've seen is this feeling of not being good enough, that I've dotted every I, I've crossed every T, and maybe I've gone to college, I've worked hard, you know, I've moved up the corporate ladder. And I still have feelings of just not being good enough, not being adequate. Um, and that the adult clients may lead to hopelessness, helplessness. Um, I often see that within my clinical practice that no matter what I do, like internally, I feel like I don't measure up. And there may even be things that are going on in my environment that reinforce that for me, um, like being skipped over or um, needing a white voice to um, give what you said credibility. 
And so there may be things that are reinforcing already what I feel internally um, that's going on. I also work with young people. And so when I see it in young, young people, I often see them checking out of the system is what I call it, is that maybe they've noticed that, you know, they're getting these messages um, in their school or their educational environment, or they may um, feel the, um, the disparity between them and their white counterparts. And so with adolescents, sometimes what I see is that when they endorse internalized racism, that inferior status may cause them to check out the system. And that may look like, you know, not excelling in school, dropping out of school, not buying into um, the system because that system makes them feel inadequate um, and makes them question who they are. Um, so you may see that they many times are not, um, you know, excelling in areas that we would expect adolescents to excel in. So I've seen it play out two different, you know, those two different ways kind of across the lifespan. Mm -hmm. And again, I would echo much of what Dr. Newton has said. You know, I, as a CBT therapist, I tend to think of things from that framework. And so for me, what stands out in terms of how internalized racism is exhibited presently, it's through um, an individual's core beliefs so when we're conceptualizing um, problems from a CBT perspective, there's this idea that our um, early childhood experiences and then from a culturally adapted perspective, societal factors as well, they lead to um, central ideas that we have about ourselves or about the world that we call core beliefs. Um, those core beliefs tend to reflect things like being um, helpless, being worthless or being unlovable. And so what we see is, is that people have individual experiences, like they might go to schools where um, they're underrepresented um, in terms of like the student body or even like among the teachers and the school staff. Uh, they might live in neighborhoods where they're also underrepresented, or conversely, they might live in neighborhoods where there is a large concentration of African Americans, but there might also be um, high rates of crime and poverty. And so they're getting these messages of inferiority through the environment in terms of what they're seeing represented at the uh, two extremes of society. And then beyond that, they're also getting messages through other um, means besides their immediate environment. So they're getting messages through things like television programming, the books that they're reading. And so all of those messages lead to the development of race-related beliefs that in turn influence you know, how they see themselves as racial beings. And then based on those thoughts, they begin to develop some of those common characteristics that we're typically thinking about when we're thinking about internalized racism, like the low self-esteem, the self-hatred, the self-alienation. And as a result of those beliefs about themselves, then they're attempting to compensate um, either as um, what Dr. Newton said by working twice as hard, you know, um, attempting to overperform, basically wearing themselves out, or again, on the other end, um, perceiving themselves to be powerless so that they then um, don't try to enact change in their environments or they actually believe that they're helpless. And so, you know, which either in that the individual, um, either end of the extreme that the individual finds themselves on, it still creates significant psychological distress, 
Um, and then it also begins again to reinforce these negative notions about themselves wherein that they might begin to blame themselves for things that are really the result of racial discrimination, or they might begin to believe that if they conform to society, um, you know, dominant culture, societal standards, then they might be accepted only to find that that's not the case in most instances. And so then that brings another set of psychological um, ramifications that they have to deal with. And so for me, what internalized racism, it's not necessarily like, I hate myself as a Black person, I think Black people are less than, it can look like that, but it also can look like some of the other things that we've talked about, including self-blame or um, working extra hard to fit in, but never quite getting there. So this is kind of a follow-up question to what you all just shared, because you're talking about how internalized racism shows up for Black clients, you know, within these major institutions. So, um, School and work is where we typically see it. But I'm also curious, and I'm sure people who are live streaming with us as well are curious if you could speak to how internalized racism shows up in relationships, like amongst family or community interactions for Black folks. Mm -hmm. I think for me, one of the obvious things that comes to mind is through um, colorism. Um, and then also through things like assigning certain behaviors to certain racial groups. So in some families, in some neighborhoods, in some communities, things um, like speaking with a certain intonation or um, engaging in certain activities, having certain interests, those things are all viewed as white. And so really I'd, see, I'd say like on an individual level within families, we can see internalized racism within that family system when we're assigning certain behaviors, certain interests, certain ways of being to one racial group and then um, alienating the members of our own racial group when they have those interests. Another thing I was thinking of sometimes with um, in clinical work, I'll see where individuals play it small, right? So I can't authentically show up and be me because the, these internalized messages I have. So I, what ended up happening is the individual may begin to play it small to make the others around them appear big or to um, make others comfortable. So I can't like dumbing down myself or not being fully authentically me. Um, it's another way in which I see it play out in relationships. Um, but I think that's, um, you know, again, concerning, like Dr. Steele was saying, um, because that can be a point of distress if you have to wear a mask and you can never be who you really are culturally or um, as it relates to your, your background. So a central theme that I'm hearing in both of your answers is internalized racism contributes to that lack of being, being able to be authentic and genuine, you know, as ourselves, as Black folks. So that leads me to the next question of how do you help clients deal with internalized racism in therapy? I'd say for me, the most important or first step that I like to take is just to help clients increase their insight into what internalized racism is and then the ways that it might be showing up and playing into the situations and the reactions that they're describing during therapy. Um, so for example, especially in the workforce setting, 
individuals will experience a significant amount of distress in response to racism. And they recognize, you know, when the racism is overt and when it's interpersonal, they recognize the anxiety or the depression or the anger or the humiliation that they feel as a result of that direct interaction. But often it's difficult for them to label the feelings like of self-blame or of secrecy or of shame that they um, have in response to the situation that might reflect the more internalized nature of racism. So helping individuals to put a label to that and then helping them to see that what they're experiencing is actually not their fault, but it's a function of the racism in the system that they're in um, is, is typically where I like to begin in terms of helping clients. And then from there, once they've developed that insight, using your basic CBT um, strategies to help them identify the specific thoughts that are leading to negative self-appraisals that they might have, and then working, um, again, using CBT tools to help them challenge and, and reframe those negative self-appraisals. Another um, way in which like I um, work with clients around internalized racism um, is using body-centric strategies combined with cognition um, replacement or reframing. So how this may look, and so I'll walk you through an example and at our webinar on the 27th, we'll have other like examples but using body-centric strategy would be like, for example, humming. So like in the Black um, black community, you may have had a grandma who hummed or would sing songs in the kitchen as she was cooking um, dinner. And so music and um, singing and humming was a part of Black culture. And the author um, of My Grandmother's Hands talks a lot about this. So one of the things I'll do with clients is I'll say, identify a song, maybe it's a song from your family, maybe some in church, or maybe it's even a current day song that really has a positive message to it, right? So think of a song. So for me, a song I often use as an example is We've Come This Far By Faith. So it's like a Negro spiritual. The words are kind of like, I'm not going to sing it because I don't want to scare nobody with my voice, but um, it's like, we've come this far by faith, trusting in the Lord, can't turn around, we've come this far by faith, this is the essence of the song, right? So I'll say, you know, that's my song, I'm going to hum it. And then I'll have my client pick, identify a song that resonates for them and have them hum it. And many times I'll have clients say that that was kind of grounding or soothing for them. And so we do that part of it where we're teaching them how to, because when you experience like racialized trauma and internalized racism, um, it impacts your soul, it impacts your spirit, right? And so we're teaching them how to recenter or reground their soul. But then we add in a cognitive piece where we say, okay, now I want you to think about the words of the song. And based off the words of the song, I want you to come up with positive affirmation or cognitions that you can use that affirm or build yourself up. So using my song that I picked, can't turn around. For me, that means you can't give up, girl. You can't give up. You can't give in. You got to keep pushing, right? Another part of it is we've come this far by faith. So I would then take that and turn it into a cognition of, of you have faith, like you have, you're not in this alone, you have faith in your higher power, you can do this, you can manage this, and those would be my affirmations. So then I have the client write down their own affirmations using their song lyrics, and they can write them on cards, or they can use like an audio, like an iPhone, record it, 
So maybe when they go into work and that internalized racism is like staring up, coming up for them, they can play that audio or they can look at those cards before they go into that environment where maybe it's getting triggered for them. So that's just one strategy. And then also in line with what um, Dr. Steele said, is just really using Socratic questions to help clients think about their thinking. Um, like example would be, how can I show up more authentically in um, spaces? How can I be more of me and not buy into this internalized racism um, that I'm experiencing? Or like I was mentioning earlier, how can I stop playing it small and really play it who, for who I am? You know, how can people see my greatness um, that's within me? And so those are just some strategies um, that we use, um, that I use, and that, you know, we'll share some more at the webinar. Um, but I think, you know, having clients do things that connect with their culture, like music and um, songs and even um, stories are important within Black culture as well. Mm -hmm. And I just you know, want to further emphasize what Dr. Newton was saying about the importance of body-centric strategies when working with clients who are dealing with internalized racism and racialized trauma. Um, disassociation is often a common response to, to racialized trauma or a common, a common symptom experienced among individuals who have racialized trauma, yet um, many African-Americans who I see in, in practice don't know what that is and they don't understand that this is what's happening to them when they feel like they're kind of disconnecting or blacking out during these experiences. You know, I can even recall a woman that I had been working with for some time, and she had been describing dissociative symptoms during faculty meetings for several weeks, but she never called it that. Um, and so at one subsequent meeting, I said to her, so did you experience any disassociation this week? And she said, do I do that? And I thought, We've been talking about it for three weeks, according to you, you do. She said, oh my gosh, you know, you're right. I didn't even recognize that that is what I was doing. So we talked more about that, what that looks like for her. We practiced, um, you know, some breathing techniques. We talked about some grounding exercises we, she could do. And then, you know, at our next session, she came back and she said, you know what? This time I was able to notice that's what was happening to me. So I did my grounding and I was able to stay present in the meeting. I didn't feel good, but at least I was there and I was aware of what was going on around me. So, you know, just like um, Dr. Newton was saying that cognitive piece is important, but because, you know, there is a trauma component to what individuals are dealing with um, as it relates to racism and racial trauma, those, those body-centric strategies are also going to be important as well. I think that's so important what you both just shared, uh, the embodied way that Black clients experience internalized racism and racialized trauma and how we help them with that because our body gives us lots of useful information. And a lot of times when we are experiencing traumatic experiences, it can be easy to think from the neck up and ignore what's, going, what's taking place in the rest of our bodies. Um, and so I think that's so important to what Dr. Newton was sharing about soul care, because it, it does place um, internalized racism makes Black clients think that the onus is on them. And through some of these practices you've described, it allows them to be able to critically resist the system while also gaining healing in a culturally relevant way. 
And to this cultural piece, I think that's a great segue into the next question, which is really a two-part question. One being how can CBT be used as a means to heal internalized racism for Black clients and why might it be an efficacious approach? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for me, it goes back to this idea that internalized racism starts with this cognitive component, right? It starts with the belief about the inferiority of Black people. And so because you're dealing with belief, there needs to be some modification of belief ultimately in order to help the individual move past it. And so because, um, you know, at its basic level, CBT is an empirically um, or evidence-based treatment for helping individuals to modify and restructure their beliefs. It's beneficial in that way, I'd say at a, at a very basic level, but as you and Dr. Newton have talked about, you know, that cultural adaptation component is so critical in that process because, you know, without that skilled culturally responsive application, it could be very easy to talk to their to clients about their problems in a way that like minimize or invalidate or you know continue to perpetuate this idea that it's not really happening but it's how you're thinking about what's happening so we want to be very careful that we're not doing that we want to do everything that we can to validate the experience but challenge the negative beliefs that individuals develop about themselves as a result of those experiences. Yeah, I think Dr. Seal hit it on the head. I, I can't add anything to that. <laughs> so as counselor educators, counseling psychologists, what do you all think is our responsibility to address internalized racism with Black clients? Well, at first, I think we have an ethical responsibility because ACA, APA, even the School um, Counseling Association, all our ethical codes that counselors um, govern themselves under talk about social justice, and they also talk about equity um, and protecting vulnerable populations and respecting people's identity at some level. Um, so I think first of all, we have an ethical responsibility, but I think we have to go beyond ethics and just go to being human, that we can't impose Eurocentric approaches to people that don't, that doesn't fit, right? Because then we're doing harm as clinicians, and our goal is to to be able to be healing agents and helping agents um, for our clients. So I think we have an ethical responsibility, but we also have um, a human responsibility to one another to make sure that we're doing things that are um, respecting respectful of um, the individual's cultural identity, um, and that we're not just um, taking you know something that doesn't fit someone and applying it. So. I would say it's at two different levels that we're responsible. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that, you know, research indicates that most clinicians are going to work with clients who make reports of racial discrimination at some point in their careers. I think um, I saw some research prior to the George Floyd um, murder that indicated maybe 70% of clinicians reported that they had 
um, clients express issues related to racial trauma and then subsequent to that, maybe something like 90%. So the vast majority of us are going to be seeing clients who are dealing with these issues. So from a competence level, it's important that we have these skills because we're going to see it at some point in clinical practice. And then as Dr. Newton mentioned, you know, we have an ethical responsibility. Um, most of our codes of ethics explicitly talk about um, social justice and honoring the cultural context of our clients um, in the actual codes of ethics. And so, you know, that responsibility is, is there in plain written language for us to see and adhere to. Um, beyond that, we have unique understanding of um, the consequence, the psychological consequence of racism inter internalized over covert racial trauma. And so because we have that understanding, we have an obligation to help our clients, to do good to our clients and to help them work through those issues. Yeah, I I definitely echo as an emergency counseling psychologist, um, the the social and racial justice advocacy piece that is involved in addressing internalized racism with Black clients um, and really being able to use CBT in this culturally adaptive way, as you all have talked about, um, to center the liberation of Black clients in therapy, because that's not something that's afforded to them in other spaces and, you know, institutions. And I also think about how this way of conceptualizing work with Black clients around internalized racism is so in line with, you know, the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which we just celebrated yesterday. Um, you know, our ancestors and community center and community members engaged in this work um, in celebrating Black life um, and fighting against the inferiority that we experience as a result of white supremacy and racism. Um, so I think that this conversation is so timely and very necessary in the age that we are living in. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So as we come to an end here, uh, before I provide our audience with information about an upcoming event that Dr. Steele and Dr. Newton will be hosting and resources to support your work with African-American clients, not even just clients, but African-Americans that you are connected with um, in school, work, in your community. Just wanted to make sure that you all had nothing more to add to the conversation before we end. I did see a question in the chat. I don't know if we want to try and tackle that question. Um, it was about, I think it read something along the lines of, how do you distinguish between perfectionism and internalized racism? I forgot who wrote it. Um, and so I guess um, just to, in order to answer that individual's question, um, I would say, um, I think you have to look at the root of it. Um, so many times with internalized racism, it is you know, based off of um, race-based uh, offenses or race-based instances that the individual um, may see or experience directly. Um, and so when you think about perfectionism, um, that can, it can manifest itself. Um, it may cause people to strive to be perfect, which we talked about a little earlier, um, which then um, creates 
added distress for the individual. So I think the two can be linked, um, but when we're thinking about internalized racism, we're more or less thinking about like the mantra, the monologue, the overall um, person's cognitions about themselves that becomes um, manifest as a result of um, racism. Um, but it can lead individuals to answer that question to strive to be perfect because I have to always appear like I'm on point or I'm on, you know, I have it all together, which then again is what I like to call that's wearing the mask um, because we always don't have it together. Um, and so I hope that answers that person's question. I think that was the only one I saw in there when I peeked. I think I, I would add to that too, that if you think back to that conceptualization um, that I talked about earlier in terms of us having these early childhood experiences and societal influences that come together to um, form the core beliefs that we develop about ourselves. Those core beliefs actually lead to rules that we develop for ourselves to kind of circumvent those beliefs. So for example, if an individual is developing this belief that they're not good enough or that they don't fit in, um, as in response to racism, a rule that they might develop for themselves um, could be like, um, if I do everything the way everyone else does it, like if I fit in, I'll be okay. If I don't make a mistake, I'll be okay. Or if I'm better than everyone else, I'll be okay. And so in response to that rule, people will develop compensatory strategies to help them enact it, right? And perfectionism could very well be one of those compensatory strategies that people are enacting in order to make up for that negative core belief in that rule that they've developed in response to internalized racism. And Dr. Newton, I, I haven't seen any more questions either. Okay, so I will make sure that I get you all this information, which I will be posting in the discussion section on Facebook. So if you are interested in learning more, please join Dr. Still and Newton for their next webinar, Culturally Adapted CBT as a Model to Address Internalized Racism Among African-American Clients on Friday, January 27th from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. During this webinar, you will learn how to conceptualize the role of internalized racism in mental health challenges experienced by African-American clients, as well as develop CBT-based culturally sensitive treatment plans to address internalized racism among African-American clients. And lastly, you'll learn how to implement CBT-based interventions to address internalized racism among African-American clients. And so you can learn more or register by going to the link that we will post in that discussion section. And there will be a discounted price of $40 for students for the webinar, you just use the promo code STUDENT in capital letters. And also for tools you can use with your clients, please check out their book, Black Lives Are Beautiful, 50 Tools to Heal from Trauma and Promote Positive Racial Identity, which you can find on Amazon. And we will also be posting that link in the discussion section. So Tatiana, I want to thank you for um, moderating for us tonight. You did a fantastic job and you were really able to lead us in a thoughtful conversation. So thank you for that. Yes, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And I get to learn more about internalized racism, which is something that um, I as a Black American get very fired up about. Yeah.
Well, we want to say thank you all so much for your time and for joining us for this live stream. And we look forward to seeing you at the next event. Thank, thank you. you.